Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of October 3rd through October 11th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So this week on the show, we've got your top five domestic films as usual, a little bit of news, what's going on in China, and we also have uh, you know some good amount of news about new release dates, as well as new strategies for various studios. So we'll tackle those first. Uh, so first up, Universal made the move to push Jurassic World Dominion back from June 2021 to June 10, 2022, a full year back. Uh, reports say that this is not production delays related, so the studio is just likely being conservative with estimates on when people will be going back to theaters in full, uh, and so it will be feasible for them to have a theatrical release. Given that Jurassic World is really tied into a lot of stuff in the theme parks, as well as a lot of promotional crossovers with other brands and product placement, this makes sense. They want to make sure that those don't get pushed back or delayed or mismatched in timing, such as having Wonder Woman Doritos in cells when the Wonder Woman movie hasn't come out yet. Uh, speaking of, no other movies have stepped up to take its slot uh, in June 2021, though I wouldn't be surprised if Warner Brothers decided to move Wonder Woman 1984 off of the Christmas date this year to then uh, if they get a little bit cold feet about having Wonder Woman in theaters this year. Now, all that being said, uh, the day after Universal made this delay, which was, again, not production related, um, you know, they ended up uh, having a couple positive COVID tests on the set, uh, which caused them to pause production for two weeks, um, though the people who were tested apparently tested negative afterwards, so it might be a false positive. But, uh, you know, given that they don't have a crunch on trying to get it out by a certain date, um, at least not immediately so, um, they can take their time. The other big movie news, date news is that Disney officially removed its upcoming Pixar film, Soul, from the theatrical release calendar here in the States and will be having it premiere on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. Notably, as opposed to the $30 premiere access experiment it ran with Mulan, Soul will be, make, be made available without any additional cost to users. Which seems to further reinforce the idea that that particular experiment was not successful. Though Regal closing its theaters indefinitely probably also added to the calculus to move Seoul off of its release date. Uh, it did, given the reviews that's been coming out after its worldwide premiere at the London Film Festival, I'm really looking forward to seeing this one. Um, although I do hope it does get a theatrical release so that I can see it on the big screen. Apparently the soundtrack is really great to have on a surround sound system. Uh, maybe in that period when movies open up again, but you know, new releases aren't quite ready yet. Now, even though it is coming to Disney Plus here in the States and on places where, where, where Disney Plus is available, in other regions uh, where Disney Plus is not yet available, probably China, uh, this film will be coming direct to will be coming to theaters still. So there will be a, a specific market uh, theatrical release. Uh, one fun fact, actually, Kemp Powers, who is the screenwriter or co-screenwriter for this film, um, is also the screenwriter for Regina King's One Night in Miami, which also releases on the same day. So uh, it would be pretty wild if he ended up getting nominated for both original and adapted screenplay in the coming Oscars. I think Soul has a decent chance just because of the relative lack of movies out there. 
another release date we got uh, on Christmas Day uh, is the focus feature black comedy Promising Young Woman. Uh, Woman. Um, it had a strong reviews when it premiered at Sundance, and it was originally set to come out this past April, though obviously got delayed for pandemic reasons. Um, this actually seems pretty safe for focus features to do, since they are owned by Universal, who has the agreement with AMC to allow for a certain release window to PVOD. So, you know, have a limited theatrical run, maybe hopefully get some awards potential going, uh, and then from there, you know, put it out on PVOD because there's not obviously not going to be a ton of people in theaters, uh, you know, I think in, in that time period. Now, this next one is uh, a re-release, but the Robert Rodriguez-directed, James Cameron-produced adaptation of the cult manga Alita Battle Angel will be returning to theaters on October 30th. Uh, this film made only $85.7 million domestically on a $170 million budget. However, its worldwide gross was about $401 million. And from what I could tell, from what I've seen online, the break even was $350. So this did seem to be profitable, even though it kind of was made fun of for not doing that well here in the States online. Um, as someone who really did enjoy the film, I'm hoping this indicates that they are still interested in potentially following it up with a sequel. I think this film really deserves one. Uh, now, this next one was never going to have a wide theatrical release, but David Fincher's Mank has been confirmed to come to Netflix on December 4th. Uh, this is one of the favorites for the Oscar season this year for both Best Picture and Best Director, so I'm really excited to see this one. Uh, there will also be a limited theatrical release sometime in November. Um, however, that December 4th Netflix date actually has it on the same day going wide, so to speak, as Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, another uh, Best Picture Back Director favorite, um, when it has its theatrical release on December 4th. We previously noted that Gerard Butler's disaster film Greenland was pulled from the release schedule to premiere on PVOD here in the States and eventually coming to HBO Max sometime next year after it opened abroad. Uh, the date for its PVOD release is scheduled to be December 18th. Um, it actually is still rolling out in international markets. In Italy and New Zealand, it came out to number one this past weekend. So this one definitely has had a slow burn, so to speak. And then finally, Train to Busan sequel, Peninsula, got confirmed for a VOD release later this month on October 27th, just before Halloween, uh, after the limited theatrical run that came back, coordinated by WellGo USA, um, back when theaters first reopened in August. Now, those movie dates aside, there is another big headline I really need to touch on. Yesterday, Disney announced that they are reorganizing and restructuring internally with a focus on direct-to-consumer video, uh, streamlining the media and entertainment operations under Kareem Daniels, who will focus on distribution and commercialization both of streaming and traditional slash legacy platforms such as the theatrical release. Uh, more details will exactly come out on an investor day on December 10th. However, this isn't a great sign for theaters as Disney's has been one of the long-standing allies of maintaining theatrical windows and making so that content is coming to theaters. Um, however, the fact that they are seeming to be willing to move in this direction toward the direct-to-consumer-first model, um, which presumably, again, places greater focus on streaming, should be setting off alarm bells for any movie theater owners. Uh, French movie theaters are already upset at Disney for pulling Soul from theatrical release abroad uh, to have it come out on Disney+, Plus. which, given that you know France has had you know some of the better... Um, 
experience like better numbers when it comes to movie theaters um they're really disappointed and understandably so um but you know this is i think disney's path moving forward um the move does not have any layoffs confirmed yet though they are expected um perhaps not to the level of the twenty-eight thousand theme park employees who were furloughed two weeks ago but still expected CEO Bob Chapek noted that this wasn't necessarily in response to COVID specifically, but rather COVID just accelerated long-term plans of moving toward this direct-to-consumer model. Uh, Given that streaming has been really the only highlight Disney has had during the pandemic and that they're hemorrhaging money uh, right now, they definitely want to move as fast as possible to make streaming a viable and profitable option, uh, especially when they have a lot of blockbuster releases such as their MCU films just kind of waiting around to be released. Like, who knows when we're actually going to be able to see theaters, movies in theaters again. They need to get money quickly. And so if they can figure out a way to make Disney Plus a profitable streaming proposition for them, uh, for themselves, by having MCU on there, they would definitely do that. They just need to figure out how, uh, which I think this is what this move is trying to accomplish. Uh, Notably, they are also the third major studio this year to restructure internally with a focus on streaming. After Warner Brothers with HBO Max and NBC Universal restructured their TV production unit. Now, you know, not sure if we're going to expect to see this out of Sony, since Sony is actually just one part of a larger conglomerate, which focuses more on electronics than it does uh, on. Uh, movie theaters. After all, the PS5 is still coming out later this year. Um, and Paramount, you know, I think they might be trying to do something similar probably sometime next year when they rebrand CBS All Access to Paramount Plus. But Paramount is also the smallest of the big five movie theaters in the space. Uh, so this isn't, you know, I don't think a Paramount restructuring would be quite as significant as the fact that the biggest three, uh, Warner Brothers, Disney, and Universal, have done so. Uh, speaking of Warner, you know they are looking at more staff reductions. Apparently, with the Wall Street Journal reporting, they're looking to reduce its workforce by about twenty percent in response to the shrinking market of the television, uh, you know, industry. No firm numbers of exactly how many would be were given quite yet. Uh, speaking of other, you know, business news uh, on the exhibition side of things, you know, a couple of points. Uh, you know, while the status of the next round of stimulus here in the U.S. from the federal government is still up in the air, whether it's Trump or Pelosi or whoever else is is holding it up, um, the the fact remains that it doesn't look like we're going to be getting any stimulus anytime soon, and so you know, exhibition. Uh, as well as studios are not going to be getting those anytime soon. Um, Remember, go vote on November 3rd or go vote early, vote by mail if you haven't already. Um, You know, this is definitely an important election and that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, In California, two bits of exhibition news. Uh, First, uh, last week we noted that San Francisco had approved for its theaters to reopen, but they were not going to allow them to sell concessions. Um, Given this situation, theater owners in San Francisco have agreed to not reopen theaters despite being allowed to do so uh, because, you know, concessions make up a large part of their profit margin, and so it wouldn't make sense for them to do so. Uh, Secondly, while Regal said that they would be closing all of their movie theaters worldwide indefinitely, they actually decided to leave seven theaters open uh, in the Southern California area, partly because it recently reopened, and I think also because those are actually some of the highest grossing uh, movie theaters in the country at the moment. Uh, So, you know, at the very least, those specific ones are doing well, so I think that's why they're keeping them open. Uh, following up to Quebec moving its theaters last week, uh, Ontario in, in Canada is also going to move its theaters alongside indoor dining and gyms as cases resurge in the province. Uh, the CEO of Cineplex was upset, right? But you know, you probably saw that coming. 
Um, similarly, the CEO of UK-based View Cinemas seems to be leading toward uh, the AMC way of viewing things where they publicly stated they will be flexible with uh, theatrical windows moving forward and considering sorting, sorting them, though they did say they're not going to do exactly what AMC did with Universal. And New York Watts, are we, New York theaters to be open yet? No, I don't think they're going to be open anytime soon. Um, at this point, I'm kind of resigning myself to not being able to see Tenet in movie theaters, unfortunately, unless it gets re-released when movie theaters reopen, hopefully in 2021. All right, all these headlines aside, you know, I'm really curious to see uh, if I'm going to have a podcast a year from now. Um, only time will tell. Anyway. Uh, let's check out the shows this past weekend that made the top five uh, films for the domestic box office market. In first place, uh, it's not Tenet. It's actually a brand new film on top of the box office, The War with Grandpa, a family comedy starring Robert De Niro, among others, uh, which released through 3.6 million US dollars in 2,250 theaters at a per theater average of $1,609. Now, this film was originally supposed to come out back in 2018. However, it was going to be under the Weinstein Company. Um, due to the controversy related to one Harvey Weinstein, uh, it was eventually picked up by distributors, uh, 101 Studios, for 2.5 million US dollars. So it looks like they're probably going to, at the very least, break even, if not more so. Uh, they've made $5.4 million worldwide, having released it in various European countries, as well as New Zealand to date. Uh, this means, of course, that in number two, uh, Chris Nolan's Tenet slips down to the second place, uh, bringing in 2.1 million US dollars for 2,215 theaters per theater average of $948, a 22% week, a 22% drop in its sixth week in theaters. Uh, domestic total for Tenet is now at 48.3 million US dollars. Uh, so I really think I'm pretty sure it will be right on the dot at just about 50 million US dollars or so. Internationally, it net about another 9.8 million uh, for a to worldwide total of 323.3 million dollars worldwide. Um, again, still good for the third highest grossing film of the year. Being of third place, uh, this week in third place, we had the 1993 witsy comedy. Disney's Hocus Pocus, dropping 40% from its surprise appearance last week in, at the, in the box office, um, down to only 1.2 million US dollars in 2,113 theaters, per theater average of $549. Other Disney properties that were actually some reruns, uh, Pixar's Coco uh, made its uh, re-release debut uh, at $603 in 1,899 theaters, per theater average of $318. Uh, a bit of a disappointment given how other re-releases had done, frankly, during this pandemic period. Um, Star Wars Episode 5, in its third week uh, of being re-released, re dropped 57% uh, down to $145,000 in 825 theaters, per theater average of $176, good for ninth place. Anyway, back to the order. In fourth place, we have The New Mutants in ninth in week nine, dropping 32% to $705,000 in $1,663. 1,663 theaters for a theater average of $424. Domestic total, two, uh, no, world, uh, yeah, domestic total, uh, $22 million. International total, uh, $43 million. And then in fifth place, we have Unhinged uh, in week 10, dropping 19% to 1,608 theaters, 682,000 for a per theater average of 425. Domestic box office is $19.3 million, and worldwide total is about $30.1 million. 
And then finally, we have one newcomer who I'm going to mention, which is the Filipino-American film by Diane Pargas, uh, you know, Yellow Rose, starring uh, Hades Town Broadway star Evelyn Oblizada from Hades Town, as well as Disney icon Lea Salonga. It debuted from Sony Pictures to about $150,000 in 900 theaters uh, for a per theater average of $167. You know, definitely not the biggest box office take out there. Definitely an indie film, but. If you are comfortable going to theaters, I really, we really ask that you go check out this film and recommend that you check it out. Um, as I noted last week, I saw this at the film festival, really loved it. I think this is a great film to watch, uh, especially now the Filipino American History Month. Okay, so total box office for this week was about 10.2 million, uh, which is actually an up. We've been we'd seen a slide in the total box office week over week um, for the past couple of weeks. So this is 9.1 million, up from 9.1 million last week. Uh, maybe with Liam Neeson's uh, thriller Honest Thief coming to the U.S. next week, um, it premiered early in Canada this week. Um, those numbers can continue to grow, um, though we'll see also what effects the regal cinema closings have on uh, the Honest Thief. This time last year, the domestic box office was $140 million, led by Joker in its second week at $55 million. Um, new films this time last year were The Addams Family's animated film at $30 million and Ang Lee's Gemini Man starring Will Smith for $20.5 million. Uh, also, the technology comedy Jexy came out to ninth place, uh, making $3.1 million US dollars, which, okay, I guess... War, of, War with Grandpa actually beat out something from last year, so yay. Um, also, this happened to be the weekend last year when Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece Parasite made its U.S. debut in Los Angeles and New York in three theaters with a per-theater average of a stunning $131,000 per theater. I definitely remember that weekend last year. I was part of the screening Thursday evening that had a Q&A with Bong Joon-ho at the IFC Center here in New York. And the IFC Center ended up having completely sold out sewings all weekend long, every sewing. So um, yeah, this is the beginning of a historic run for Parasite. All right, quickly touching in on China, with the National Day holiday having passed, we saw some pretty steep drops. Um, I'm not going to go over those numbers, but as we noted last week, it was definitely one of the highest grossing National Day weekends in box office history. Deadline puts the number at $589 million for the week-long take. Now, nationalist anthology film My People, My Homeland now sits at $319 million, Um and animated film Legends of Deification sits at 260 million US dollars. This is good for the fifth and seventh on the top grossing films of 2020. My People, My Homeland uh, at fifth place is only a couple of million dollars away from overtaking Sonic the Hedgehog in fourth place. And if it gets another 20 million or so, which I think it should be able to do in the next couple of weeks, um, it'll end up surpassing Tenet to be the third highest grossing film of the year, meaning that it would be. Um, the 800 followed by um, followed by uh, Bad Boys for Life and then followed by uh, My People, My Homeland. Uh, in fact, if it actually ends up getting to the estimated $449 million uh, it was supposed to get uh, as estimated by Marianne when it first came out, it would end up actually being the number two film ahead of Bad Boys for Life. So we'll, that'll be an interesting race to watch. Um, and then Legends of Deification is currently about $30 million away from overtaking Doolittle um, as the sixth highest grossing film of the year. 
Also, apparently Disney's Mulan is not the worst Mulan of the year. Um, animated film Kung Fu Mulan from a local Chinese uh, distributor production company scored a 3.1 on Duban, the Chinese film site, and was actually pulled from theaters after a single week, making only about a million US dollars, so pretty rough. Now that said, in Chinese box office, there is exciting news for 2021 already. The sequel to Detective Chinatown 2, obviously Detective Chinatown 3, is confirmed for the 2021 Lunar New Year, which is the highest grossing uh, weekend of uh, Chinese box office. Um, the second entry in the series uh, grossed about $544 million in 2018, which is good for the fifth highest grossing film in China of all time. So we'll see how this third sequel does. Um, oddly enough, in China, uh, sequels often end up doing better than the originals for some reason. So um, especially if they come out on Lunar, Lunar New Year. So uh, this could very well and will likely be the first film post-COVID to hit 600 million US dollars worldwide, even though that will almost entirely be made in China. And finally, two small headlines to close out the show. Uh, the first is that a study from UCLA found that on average, films that don't include quote-unquote authentic diversity in their storytelling stand to lose an up to $130 million per film. What they said is that essentially a film with a uh, production budget of about $159 million, um, so an average blockbuster film, will lose about 30, will be sort about 32.2 million US dollars in its opening weekend if it isn't diverse, which translates to about 130 million over the lifetime of a film. Um, it also the study also found that smaller budget films are currently the best when it comes to having this authentic diversity on film. So again, Hollywood, make more diverse films. Let's go watch those. I definitely want to watch that. I wish I could go see Yellow Rose again in theaters. So, you know, I'm all here for, for making more diverse films. And finally, to close out the show on a light note, the latest, and a bit of Schadenfreude, uh, the latest chapter in the Quibi punching bag story, Jeff Katzenberger apparently has been shopping Quibi around to various media and tech companies, including Apple, Facebook, and Warner Media, with no one taking up on his offer to sell Quibi. Or more accurately, as he puts it, strategically partner with them to use the Quibi content on a more developed platform. The issue there being that Quibi doesn't actually own its own content. It's going to allow the creators to license the content out after a couple of years, which is the only way they got people to make content for them. Apparently, some people have already been trying to buy out you know, that exclusivity period to appear on other platforms. Uh, with less than half a million subscribers who are paying after forecasting 7.4 million in one year and then spending $2 billion on it, uh, not to mention a pending patent lawsuit, all I have to say is good luck, Jeff. You're going to need it. Uh, with that, that is the end of this episode of the Box Office Watch podcast. Suit me ideas for what I should cover via email at the Box Office Watch podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BO Watch Podcast. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. If you could leave a review on your podcast service of choice on podchaser.com, that would be super helpful. Links to those in the show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. <laughs> <laughs>